We are continuing the discussion about um, tug of war. And I prefaced every, every one of these conversations with the um, almost cautionary uh, statement of this is nothing new. I know we have more news channels. I know we have more access to information now than ever before. So it seems like it may be new, but it's not new. What we're, t- what we're talking about is not new. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, there became this conflict between what humans wanted to do and God's desire for them. There's God's plan and mankind's plan. And we read all through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament about how, about how culture and, and, and the will of God for our lives is a constant conflict. And if you've lived any length of time, you realize that. Sometimes what I want to do and what God says is the right thing to do is not, it doesn't line up. Anybody else? Okay, I'm the only one that deals with that. It feels lonely up here. So this is not a new concept. Um, there's always been a tug of war with, with man's ways and, and God's design for us and God's purpose for us. So... The goal of this is not for the church to stand back and go, we know the truth and everybody else is going to hell. Um, Which we've tried that, didn't work. Um, The reason for this discussion is so we can understand God's purpose for our lives, understand how to live in that purpose, understand what real freedom looks like, understand what peace looks like, so that we have something genuine to offer other people. Amen? Because if... If the church just gathers together this morning and we walk out and there's nothing different to offer anyone, guess what? This becomes a really weird social club. It just is. It becomes a weird TED talk every Sunday morning. But that's not God's intention for the church. God's intention for the church is that we gather together, encourage each other, look into the word of God. And we find out what he is saying to us, not in order for us to ridicule other people, but to offer them freedom. Amen. So remember that when you turn on the news and they say there's a cultural war. It's the Christian's job to go, wait a second, I'm not fighting anybody. I'm offering freedom and peace to people. I don't have to fight people. Scripture tells us that. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers. And so we talked every week about what good, is, what good does it do to, to fight with the people God called us to offer freedom to. Amen. Doesn't mean you have to agree, but you realize you can disagree without fighting. Now, if you'd have told me that as a teenager, I would have went, nope. Somebody's got to win. But now we are maturing in Christ and we're figuring out that grace wins. Amen. You should try it sometime, grace. I tell people that are going through difficult times, grace works every time you try it. Every time you try it. So we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 2. Last week we talked about how the culture is teaching us to get our identity from different things. Like, like what we look like, what we, um, uh, what we do for a living, the desires we have. That's what culture is telling us to get our identity from. This week, we're going to find out how God designed us to get our identity. Amen? 
So why don't you stand to your feet in honor of the word, and we're going to read this, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Here we go. Are you ready? Say amen. amen. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which He has loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages we might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that it is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. We pray that we find our true selves in you. That, Lord, when we lay our heads down at night, we be comfortable and confident with who you made us. And Lord, when we recognize ourselves in you, we pray that we be able to, to accomplish all you put us on the earth to do. Help us. Help us to recognize who you made us and help us to do what you've called us to. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. You may be seated. Chapter 2 of the letter to the Ephesians, Paul is reminding them that they were, that they were once dead in their trespasses of sin. This may sound like what we talked about last week in Romans, that the law revealed sin. It wasn't capable of, of fixing the sin problem. It was never designed to do that. A rule never fixes uh, anything. A rule just identifies when something is wrong. Amen? So, uh, can I do a little parenting side note here? Side note with parenting. Um, how many of you like making rules for your kids? Just raise your hand. Uh, you like doing that? You know, you got them on the refrigerator and there's like 73 rules for the day. And your kid wakes up and is like, I got no life. I don't even know what's going on. So it was shocking to me to find out we never had a curfew for our kids. Do you remember? We never had a curfew uh, because we didn't want to make a rule for a curfew and then just be like, okay, do whatever you want until 12. <laughs> we wanted to cast vision for our kids about this is what maturity looks like. And so if you're out past 12, this is still what maturity looks like. Amen. Are you following me? And so... All the rule did was identify for the child when they were breaking it. It didn't, I, it didn't describe for them how to fix what they broke. Are you following me now? So in Romans, Paul is saying, listen, the law was important because it, it, it gave you God's standard. This is what he expects. This is right and wrong. This is the law. This is right and wrong. We understand in our, in our society today. You understand it in your family today. You look at your 16-year-old and go, these are the rules. The issue is when we only apply rules, there is no, there's no way to be 
to be redeemed from breaking them. Are you following me? And so Paul last week was describing, okay, that's why Jesus came because the rule revealed sin, but it wasn't adequate to alleviate it. It wasn't adequate to, to satisfy the, the requirements for forgiveness. And so Jesus came. We just remembered that he died for us and rose again. And because of his sacrifice, now we have forgiveness of sin. So now we not, the law does not evaporate. Right and wrong is still right and wrong. And we get that from scripture. We get that straight from God. He's the creator, so he decides right and wrong for our benefit. So now it's not just revealing sin in our life. Now God came in the form of Jesus and he said, now I'm going to give you a way to satisfy the requirement. And, and can I tell you something? As a parent, that's one of the most important things you could do. Not just make rules for your kids, but give them a vision of how they can do the right thing and, and, how, and how it's beneficial to do the right thing and then give them ability when they break the rule to be reconciled. Man, that was really good. People would pay for that. So what happens, Paul is saying now to the church in Ephesus, he's saying, you, you remember being in this state of being just full of sin. You remember what that's like. You remember following the culture of the world, the course of the world, and giving in to their desires. You remember that. But then he says, because God loved them, that he rescued them from that, rescued them from sin. And that they had become now saved by grace and they were the beneficiaries now of all of God's goodness. They were adopted. He's reminding the Ephesians, you've been adopted into this family. You've been made a child of God. Now you, now you have an inheritance. You have a, you're a beneficiary to all that goodness. He called it the immeasurable riches of God's grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. He said, we've benefited from Jesus coming to us. They were giving this gift, not because they had earned it, but because God was loving and gracious. So, so hear me out. It's not because I did a whole bunch of great things. God went, Hey, you got to go down there and reward that guy. No, it's because he was gracious towards me. And when I could do nothing good, he came anyway. So now that they had been rescued, I need you to get this timeline straight because it's going to be important for your identity. Now that they had been rescued, now that they had been saved, there was work to accomplish. Do you see the, do you see how that fits in the timeline? They weren't working beforehand to, to get God's attention, but God being full of grace and mercy came to, came to humanity and rescued us. And now because we've been rescued, now we have work to do. You ever been around somebody that's been rescued for something and they're like super passionate, like, man, I'm going to make a difference in this. You ever been around somebody like that? That's what Paul's describing. He's saying, because we've been rescued, now we have work to do. So in order to understand, we're going to back way up here and then I'll bring this all together. We're going to back way up to the beginning in order to understand who we are today. We've got to go back to God's original intent for us. So we'll go back to the garden of Eden before Adam and Eve screwed it up. 
Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 5, it says, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field was yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. There was no man to work the ground, and mist was going up from the land. Genesis is describing this strange environment that we're not familiar with. Do you realize that? There was a mist coming up, but no rain coming down. There was no humans on the planet. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust from the ground and breathed into those nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature and, the, and God planted a garden in Eden in the east and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And the tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flew out of Eden, watered garden, where it, and it divided, it became four rivers and then it goes on and on and on and it says, God blessed him. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Look at your neighbor and say, work it and keep it. The garden of Eden was not a beach vacation. I don't read about a beach actually in the garden of Eden. He, 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 there was a purpose for Adam in the garden. Are you following me? He said, you may surely eat out of every tree of the garden, but out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. Now, this is before, before God gave man the law because as long as Adam stayed away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he didn't need the law. Are you following me? Because if he didn't know what evil was, how would he do it? So God was saying, for your protection, don't go over there. Man, doesn't that sound like you saying something to your kid? Listen, you don't know what that is yet. Stay away. So God was saying, listen, there's no reason for you, to, there's no point in you going over there to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It, won't, it will not benefit you. Don't do that. And that was the only rule. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. Somebody say amen. Sound like more women said that than men. They're like, every time I leave, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. I thank God for that. Now the ground the Lord God had formed every beast is Genesis chapter 2 starting verse 19. Every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens had brought them to the man to see what he would call them. That looks like work to me. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all livestock and the birds of the heavens and the, every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. It seems to me that Adam was looking for it. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man. And while he slept, he took one of the ribs out and closed up his flesh. The rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, wow. <laughs> this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. We're going to lean into a couple things here about God's original intent for Adam and Eve. They were intentionally created for God, by God, for his purpose. God did not find Adam and figure out Adam. He created Adam. God was not discovering Adam. Adam was a creation of his. Then the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. After he formed him, or the timeline could be before or after, 
God intentionally created a place for Adam and Eve to live and flourish. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. In the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Now the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for fruit. By the way, that means there was no tree of heavens there. Everybody familiar with that thing? We got them growing back here. They stink like crazy. I don't think that was there. So God created intentionally Adam and Eve. We talked about this about three weeks ago. Look at your neighbor and say, you're on purpose. No mistakes here. Absolutely on purpose. God created us on purpose. Adam and Eve were created for relationship with God and each other. So we were created on purpose by God and he created us for relationship. So God's relationship with man was to be different than Adam's relationship with Eve. Do you understand that? Adam already had a relationship with God. God was instructing him, creating habitats for him. God, God gave him work to do. There was, there was a daily task of, like, I'm going to walk some more animals in front of you, and you're going to pick the names. And I don't know what that looked like. Adam could have been strolling down through the, through the garden path, and, and just these animals would come. Around. I have no idea, but somehow God was making all this happen. And he had a relationship with, with Adam. He knew them intimately because he had created them. God had regular in-person communication with Adam and Eve. We find this out actually after Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis chapter 3 verse 8. It says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The reason they hid themselves is because why? More specifically, they were naked. Now, what we, well, if we correlate that back to when God first created Adam and Eve, it said they were naked and unashamed. It, it wasn't a big deal. They were just like, this is the way we are. We don't know anything else. But then after they had sinned, it seems that God would come down and, and make his presence known in the garden with them, physically make his presence known in the garden with them. And then after they sinned, they were like, oh, here he comes. And now we're naked. And so they hide and cover them up. And you have the first game, tragic game in scripture. God's going, hey, where are you? And I was like, ha. Over here, God's like, why are you hiding? Well, we're, we're naked. Where'd you get that word, Adam? You ever had your kids come home and say something to you? And you were like, where'd you get that word? School. More specific. What was his name? So what, what happens is, is now they've sinned and this relationship that seemed normal up to this point with God coming down, having 
communion with them, having an, a relationship physically, walking through the garden and, and encountering them. Now all of a sudden sin has caused it to be strained and caused it to be broken and caused them to hide and cover themselves, which seemed out of the place for God. God, why are you hiding? Adam and Eve's relationship was different than Adam's relationship with God and Eve's relationship with God because they were created for each other by God. Their relationship with God was one of creator creation. God wasn't figuring them out. He already knew them. But Adam and Eve's relationship was creation to creation. Think about this. They had a lot to figure out. Now, they had a lot of time to figure it out, but they had a lot to figure out. Imagine being the first humans. What do these do? There's a lot of those questions. How does this work? What are we supposed to do? How does this? They're figuring each other out. God, God's relationship with them was that he had already known them. God intended for man to have relationship with his with creation and the creator. But listen, what I told you last week, not to get the hierarchy out of order. The initial intention of God was for man to have a relationship with him and God's creation, but never to get the hierarchy out of order. If there's any issue that plagues our culture today is that we've, we value what we talked about last week, the horizontal relationships more than the vertical relationships. And the minute Adam and Eve went sideways was when they started valuing this relationship more than this one. They got the hierarchy out of order. We find out that they sinned when they started believing each other instead of God. We find out that they sinned when they started believing the serpent instead of God. The serpent, the Bible says, came to him and said, oh, did God really say you would die? Is that really a thing? Well, I don't know. Maybe he was just, maybe he's just joshing us. And Eve took a bite of the apple and then Adam, Adam is looking at it going, well, you put me in a bad place here. I got to trust God or my wife. That was funny. You can... Everybody's been there. Trust God or your spouse. And, and all of a sudden, it's like, I don't know what... Ah. So he, he bites the apple too. And they get the hierarchy out of order. No, we should, we should have listened. This should, be, this should be where I listen. And this should be where I apply what I listen. Amen? What I hear. So they were created on purpose, intentionally. They were created for relationship and they were created for meaningful work. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and everything that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth. That doesn't mean you smoke the plant. It means you get the plant. And every tree that is seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens. God said, I put you in dominion and dominion requires responsibility and dominion requires stewardship and dominion requires you to work. Amen. God instantly gave them something to work on. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it 
and keep it. So we know now that that's the way God intentionally set it up. I created you for my purpose. I created you for relationship and I created you to work. I believe if you couple those things together, you can find who you are. And when we fast forward to our point in time, we have to realize what God's original intent for us was. His original intent was for his purpose, for relationship with him and each other, and to accomplish work. That was original design. Sin came in and, and mutilated that whole thing. And so now we say we were not created for God's purpose. Now we say that, that we, we were created for relationship, but, but, but not a vertical one, just horizontal. And now we say what well, we talked about last week, that work is our identity, period. And that is how we're going to fix everything. That's how we're going to provide. That's how we're going to get ahead of life. We're just going to work. But what we have to understand is God, God sent Jesus to redeem all that was broken. Are you following me? So we're in the process. He's, re, he's redeemed us. He saved us. Paul says in Ephesians that God in his grace and mercy, while we were still without him, while we were sinners, that he came and saved us. So now we're in this, now we're in this reconciliation. Now we're in this restoration mode. And the tug of war is God saying through Christ, you can have this identity, but there's going to be a pull over here to do something else. So we need to know at the beginning what that was supposed to look like. Now we can know how to restore it. Paul teaches the Ephesians that they were dead in their sins and in need of a savior. Did you hear that? That they were dead in their sins and in need of a savior. Dead in their sins, in need of a savior. Paul tells them that, point blank, doesn't pull any punches. Dead in their sins. I believe this, true identity cannot be found apart from God who knows what our true identity is. He knew the true, who Adam and Eve were. He created them. We talked about that last week. We can't find that apart from him. We can search and search and search, but why wouldn't you just ask? I have this little pet peeve now where I like to go to the shortest route to find the solution. Anybody else? Anybody else like, hey, who can we call to figure this out? There are some people, though, that like to sit around the table and talk about things that they don't know about. And when we get to the end of the conversation, it's still broke. Now, if you're one of those people that likes to sit around and beat it to death after it's already dead, there's a place in the world for you. I like to sit down at the table and go, who knows about this? Who can we pick up the phone? Who can we call right now? Get it done. Get it done. We don't, like, Jesus is coming. We don't have time. So pick up the phone, go to the shortest distance, and find out, call the company that made the stupid thing. How about we do that? And I'll hear, well, I have a friend that used to use this. No, no, I don't care. Your friend is not that smart. Let's call the company. Let's call the people that made it. Let's get the CEO on the phone. 
Actually, let's not do that. He probably doesn't know what's going on. So Paul says, listen, the quickest way for you to find who you are is to accept that you were lost and the only way to find yourself is through Christ. Amen? True identity cannot be found apart from God because God is the creator of us. He's the creator of all things. So if I've got a question about me, I'm probably not going to ask you. Because what I find out is all of us are in the same boat. Now, I might get advice on something specific about something like that, but if I'm struggling with who I am, I'm going to go, God, you made me. I'm missing something here. Is it sin in my life that's keeping me? Is it, what is it? Is it my attitude fixed? I need you to help me fix this. I need you to reconcile me to you first. Amen? Listen to me, church. If we don't go to him as the origin of who we are, we are chasing our tails. And it's created great despair. It creates great despair in people to do this circular idea. I'm trying to figure out who I am without asking the one who knows. So Paul says, listen, apart from that relationship with God, with the presence of sin that's been unforgiven, you're not going to figure it out. A denial of sin or the need to be forgiven will result in us not discovering who we truly are created to be. Just in Adam, as Adam and Eve, we cannot know who we truly are apart from the one that created us with intentionality and purpose. Paul says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, the culture of the world. This is what it produced. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in his grace and mercy, reconciled us to him. Amen? So now we can, now we have this pathway to say, God, like, I want to figure out why you created me. It's a shortcut. It's a shortcut. As, As good of a parent as I think I am. And that's still up for debate. I can't tell my kids why they were created. I can help them discover it, but I can't say, that's it. That's it, man. That's what you're here for. No, I can say, I know somebody. I know a shortcut to figure this out. I know a shortcut to figure this out. Listen, we ain't going to sit around the table all night and talk about this because I don't know. But I know somebody that does. Amen? We have a need to be forgiven to be free. We have to be free to find out who we are. But God is rich in his grace and mercy because of the great love which he had loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Listen to that last part. We are not saved to be by ourselves. He says even positionally we are saved to be in relationship with Jesus. Think about this. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with us in heavenly places in Christ. We've been put in relationship, not isolation. So the relationships have to be in the right order. God first, that's the relationship that matters the most. When Adam and Eve got the relational order wrong, sin occurred. They listened to each other instead of God. When you follow the course of the world... When you follow the 
the common thinking of what's right in the world that shifts and moves and ebbs and flows and is never, it is never the same. We get that hierarchy out of order. We are first in relationship with God through Christ and then in relationship with each other. And when that order is changed, it changes our identity as well. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you in this. This, is, this will be a week-long challenge. A week-long. When we come back next week, I'll give you a quiz. Listen to me. If you said this week, God, I want to be closer to you. And, and I want, every morning, I'm going to get up and check myself according to you. And then I'm going to get the grace that I need from you to go walk through my day. Do you think you'll treat people worse or better? You're like, man, I started praying every day and I became a monster. I started praying every day and started treating the kids worse. I don't hear stories like that. Because God rewards us for the relationship, amen? There, is, there are blessings that come into our lives. There's peace that comes into our lives. If you woke up every morning, we got this little app now called the Carry App. If you got on that thing and woke up every morning and you started reading the scripture every morning, just, just what, just read. I think we're reading through Luke now. Read the scripture every morning and then go, God, I need you to forgive me and I need you to help me with whatever, fill in the blank. I've been a little bit angry this week. And Lord, I need your grace for that. And I need you to give me peace. Lord, I've been a little anxious this week. I need your grace for that. I need you to give me peace. I think when you walk out the door, you're different. Amen. Or, or you could just turn the TV on and sit in front of that. Yeah, I mean, let's try one or the other. Okay, this side, watch TV. And this side, read the Bible. We'll just see how it works out in your life. Matter of fact, you guys eat ice cream and watch TV. And, and you know, smoke a cigarette. I don't know. And then you guys... And then you guys, you guys get up and pray and, and, and read a little bit of the Bible and actually sincerely go, God, I want you to work on me today and I want to be a different person. And let's come back next week. Can we do that? Let's come back next week. But don't tell anybody I told you to smoke. It's just an experiment. Let's come back next week and figure out. Now, when I say it absurdly like that, everybody goes, Chris, this is dumb. But that's what we do, isn't it? We get the hierarchy of... Jacked up. God first, people second. Our relationship with each other points us to God's grace, especially relationships within the church. We're supposed to be a benefit to each other. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of the ribs. Eve was a benefit to Adam and Adam was a benefit to Eve. Amen. So if we get this relationship right, we end up being a benefit to each other this way. That's God's intentional design. We find our identity when we view ourselves as servants or the helpers of others. Servants and helpers of others. There's an argument with the disciples about who was the greatest in the kingdom in Matthew chapter 20. And, and Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles ordered over them. What was he saying? The culture of today. The people that rule today. They, they, they value their position and they lord it over. They, 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 they take advantage of other people. 
He says, it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as a son of God, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Watch this. Because they had a relationship with Jesus, he corrected the relationships here. Did you see how that worked? They came to him and said, hey man, I want to be first. Actually, Two guys' mother came to him, which I don't ever advise that to happen. But their mother said, hey, would you put your, one of my sons on your right and one of your son, my sons on your left? And Jesus is like, hey, let's settle down a little bit. And, and then the disciples are mad because they're like, wait a second, I should have been in front of the line. And Jesus is going, hey, because you have a relationship with me, I can now counsel you that you're crazy. So we don't. We're not looking at it like that. You can't look at it like the world looks at it. You can't get the hierarchy out of, out of whack. You've got to look at it that, that now you're serving people, not, not trying to get a position. Because now we're helping each other. Amen? Because now we're taking the example that Jesus gave. Not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. There are no circumstances where mankind will discover their true identity outside of serving. Did you hear that? It's impossible for you to discover who you really are outside of serving other people. If the creator of all the universe came and served us, how are we going to figure out not serving others? How are we going to figure out who we are? It's the design he set in relationship We honor God with who we are and we serve others in light of what he's done for us. We find ourselves when we serve the people we're in relationship with. That's where we find ourselves. All right, I'm going to wrap up with this. The band's coming up. Remember I said you don't work to be saved, but once you are free, then you work. Does that make sense to you? We don't work and go, oh God, look at what I did. Now, now you have to save me. No, but when we realize how rich in grace and mercy he has been to us, it's like, it's like being set free from a life sentence and you didn't deserve any of it. And all of a sudden you've been set free and you're like, now I have a purpose in life to fulfill. Does that make sense? Paul says that. It's actually a little twisted if you read it all together, if, you don't, if you're not careful, Ephesians 2, 8 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. He said, this isn't about how much you've done to be saved. It's all free grace. It's all given to you by grace. But then he says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good what? Works. So works won't save you, but works is a result of your salvation. Are you following me? So identity, our identity is not solely what you do for work, but when you know your true identity, it will include meaningful work. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, God is meaning for you to do something important. Tell him that. God has planned out meaningful work for us, just as he did with Adam and Eve. Kingdom work is not busy work. Sometimes some of you look at naming the animals and you're like, oh my, how more monotonous could it be? Lord, it's a little bit different elephant. Just get on with it. I don't hear Adam complaining about the work God gave him. Sometimes we complain about work because it's not the work that God gave us. 
and we're still trying to figure it all out. We're still trying to find who we are. So we need to have a different conversation about work. Listen to me. I'm going to end with this. One of the issues is we're teaching people to follow their passions without knowing if their passions have been redeemed. Are you following that? So remember the order we went in? We need to be forgiven first. We need to be in the right relationships and then do the right work. Do you follow that? If I'm going to know who Chris is, I need to be forgiven first, be in the right relationship and then do the right work. How can I do the right work if I skip over the first two steps? How I know. But what we do is we tell people, follow your passions, follow your passions. And then we turn around and go, that's dumb. Because how do we know if our passions are aligned yet, if we're not in relationship? So what happens is when I follow that order, Lord, I'm trying to figure out what you've called me to. I'm trying to figure out who I am. Okay, I need you to forgive me. I need to get this sin thing right. And then I need to make sure I'm in good relationship with you and good relationship with people because you put them there to help me. You put me there to help them. It's a good thing you put in place. And now I can experience this holy work you've given me. And then listen, if you're a redeemed, right relationship, diesel mechanic, that's holy work. So Paul says, he's put good work in front of you. Kingdom work is often hard work. Kingdom work is often overlooked work. But here's the point. Kingdom work is always fulfilling. Amen. Stand to your feet. Paul wanted the church to understand that they had been rescued from sin and death and that their new identity was wrapped up in a relationship with God and the work he had planned for them. That's who we are. That's who we are. We don't have to flail around our whole lives trying to figure it out. He created us so that we can experience relationship with him and do the work he called us to do on this earth. Amen. And that's my wish and desire for every person in this building this morning. And if you're looking up at me and saying, Chris, I'm I'm having a hard time figuring out. Don't recreate the wheel. Don't recreate the wheel. Go back this week and say, God, I like, I need to be in your grace. I need to be right with you. And I need to make sure my relationships are right. And in light, and in light of that, then I'm trusting you to help me figure out that work I'm supposed to do. And he is faithful to do that. So can I pray that over you this morning? Why don't you bow your heads? I want to pray that very prayer over you this morning. Lord, I pray if there's somebody right here today trying to figure it out, trying to figure out what the next step is, trying to figure out what am I going to do? Lord, I pray first that they would, that they would latch on to you as the author of their faith, as the, as the creator of all things, as the one that knows the beginning from the end, as the one who can direct every single one of our steps. Lord, I pray that they'd latch on to you with everything they have. I pray that they lean into that relationship and let it guide the relationships they have here on the earth. And then, Lord, I pray that you start revealing to them what you put in them, what you have planned since the foundation. Lord, that you created in advance for them. It's already set up. All you need them to do is step into it, Lord. I pray that it become clear. I pray that you remove all anxiety, all fear. I pray, Lord, that the trust would begin to, to develop in our lives about who we are in you. And we thank you for it this morning. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. 
Come on, church, can you say amen? Can you give him thanks today? Hey, listen, go out, get this thing right, get this thing right, and then do what he's called you to do. And it'll be a glorious time together. We'll see you back here next week.